All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Mike Elam, Chris Ranji, today on KMOX. We're going to be monitoring to find out uh, what Nikki Haley is going to say and what they're calling a major uh, speech she is about to give in South Carolina. Nikki Haley, of course, uh, Republican uh, uh, candidate for the presidency. We will see what she says. In fact, she's about to begin speaking now. So if she delivers any sort of big news, we will let you know what that is. But it is time to go to the Quiver River Electric guest line. We bring in CBS News correspondent out of Jerusalem. Robert Berger is with us this morning on KMOX. Robert, we appreciate your time. How are you? Sure, good. Good morning. Um, so as we sit here now, the United States um, has vetoed a United Nations resolution calling for a ceasefire in Gaza. What do you know of the situation right now and what happens next. We understand that uh, the United States is trying to uh, put together their own resolution. Instead, what do you know of the entire situation? The U.S. didn't like this particular resolution. It felt that it was one-sided, that a ceasefire is simply not enough. A ceasefire has to come along with the release of hostages. So that's what the U.S is proposing in its own draft resolution, not clear at all when that is going to come up for a vote. But what the U.S. would like to see is a six-week ceasefire. This is the proposal on the table in exchange for the release of some Israeli hostages and Palestinian prisoners. So if, if that's the case, how likely are they to get that? You know, the negotiations are showing some sign of uh, moving forward. The U.S. is sending uh, top envoy Brett McGurk to the region. He's due in Egypt tomorrow and here in Israel on Thursday. And today you had the political leader of Hamas holding talks in Cairo to discuss this deal. And so right now, I know that a number of entities, governments, people around the world have been critical of Israel and the way they have conducted operations in Gaza, not necessarily that they are going after Hamas terrorists, but that maybe they have gone um, a, a little too far in how it has affected civilians in Gaza. It is... It, from your perspective, the way you have been seeing it, has the reaction by Israel and the operations there, have they been outsized? Well, you're, certainly Israel is facing international criticism. You have a very high death toll in Gaza, according to the Hamas Ministry of Health, 29,000. Israel says at least a third of those are Hamas terrorists. And the problem that Israel is facing there in Gaza, it's a very small territory, um, very small. And the, you have this uh, military uh, machine of Hamas, or army, 
if you will, uh, embedded, totally embedded in the civilian population, in hospitals, schools. Um, and, of course, they've got this underground tunnel network, which Israel is having a really hard time cracking. So the Israelis would argue that, uh, you know, Hamas embedded itself in the population. It carried out this terrible terrorist attack on October 7th. And Israel's trying to minimize uh, the, the, ca- the civilian casualties, but it's also going after, you know, Hamas, which is embedded deeply within the population. Talking with Robert Berger from CBS News about the uh, state of what's going on with Israel and Hamas. Robert, I'm, I'm curious, Prime Minister Netanyahu has been pretty clear that he has a end goal in mind, and that is to wipe Hamas off the face of the earth. Do you see him changing that, even though he's getting all this pressure from uh, around the globe? Do you see that mission changing? You know, it's hard to say. Certainly publicly, he uh, continues to say that Israel will press on until complete victory. Uh, And the reason for that is the fear in Israel and there, you know, there's still a lot of support for this war. You know, there's not an anti-war movement here because you had 1,200 people killed on October 7th. And the feeling is, unless you wipe out Hamas, that there's going to be a similar threat like that in the future. Uh, and no country, of course, would accept that. Um, the question is if there would be some kind of ceasefire, which, uh, the, you know, the negotiations we've been discussing now uh, – if those actually achieve a ceasefire in exchange for the release of hostages. So then you might see a pause to the fighting, and perhaps it would turn into a permanent ceasefire, even though Israel's saying it's, it's still vowing to destroy Hamas. For weeks, Robert, we have heard from members, uh, family members of uh, those who have been taken hostage that they felt like the administration, that Netanyahu, have not been entirely upfront with them about the status of their loved ones, uh, where those hostages might be. Also concern about their family members being caught in crossfire with some of these military operations. How do family members right now of all the hostages, and, and, and I'm talking about you know over the course of weeks, how are they now? How do they feel now about what's being done there? And do they feel like enough is being done to retrieve their family members? No, they don't. Uh, I mean, to put it simply, and, you know, they're in a very difficult, they're living in a very difficult situation. You know, these, there are at least 100 Israeli hostages left who are alive. The, the total number is over 130, but it's believed that about 30 are dead. But, you know, they're being held in under, underground tunnels in probably very difficult conditions. And the feeling among the families is stop the war, do whatever it takes to make a deal with Hamas. Hamas is demanding an end to the war. Make a deal with Hamas, get the hostages back, and then worry about destroying Hamas later. It's not as simple as that, of course, uh, for for the Israeli uh, political leaders who are trying to balance the two, the the military pressure on Hamas, as well as getting the hostages back. But, uh, you know, the families definitely feel that more could be done to get their loved ones home. Is there a sense of what happens after these military operations are completed in terms of, of what they do with Gaza? What what happens to that territory after all of this is finished? That's one of the big complaints by the U.S. administration. They feel that Israel doesn't have an endgame. We've seen 
Secretary of State Antony Blinken uh, come here five times, and in the past two or three, he's been asking Israel, okay, well, what happens next? Uh, and the U.S. would like to see a path toward a Palestinian state, and Israel is categorically opposed to that, um, feeling that that would pose a security threat like Hamas has. So um, Israel doesn't really have an end game, and this has been the source of criticism not only from the U.S. and Europeans, but also here at home. Uh, there really isn't a plan. Uh, the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu uh, doesn't want the Palestinian Authority, which controls the West Bank. He opposes them taking over in Gaza, and he really hasn't come up with an alternative. Robert Berger uh, joining us from Jerusalem. We appreciate all the information today. Thank you for visiting with us, and we will check back in as we move down the line. Good to be with you. That is Robert Berger, a CBS News correspondent who uh, has been covering what's happening in Israel and Hamas and continues to do so from Jerusalem. He's very good. Um, by the way, so what has happened with the Nikki Haley uh, uh, speech that she is giving right now was billed as a major speech she was about to give. And the first thought that we all had was, is she dropping out? Because the South Carolina primary is coming up. And my thinking is, yeah, she's going to drop out because she's probably going to get beaten pretty badly there and doesn't want that embarrassment. She said, I am not dropping out. Yeah, I'm still here. So there is no development there. Nikki Haley is still intending to run for president. I I don't get the whole major speech. This is a a major speech that we're going to have. Is it? No. The only thing major would be if you were announcing a change in your campaign. And she doesn't seem to be. It doesn't seem to be a change in any of this. She's still here. She's not going anywhere, which, I mean, the latest polls, I think, have her down by over 30 points in South Carolina. How does she move on uh, and lose by 30 points in this race? I just, mm, that that looks pretty tough. So what does that do for a political career if you want to have one? I mean, is, is this a thing where... You just kind of have to weather the the Trump storm until it's over, and then you can rebound in four years if you want to run for president. Or is this the kind of thing? Because this is, listen, the, the Trump thing is an anomaly. It's very unusual. It's different than anything we've had right. in my lifetime, certainly. Um, so is it just the kind of thing where, hey, whatever happens now doesn't matter four years from now? Or does this politically damage you to the point where you cannot recover and run for president again in four years if you lose that badly in your home state. I wouldn't say that it's it's going to be done-done, but it definitely hurts the brand, right? It tarnishes a lot on the Nikki Haley brand. But I, I would say a lot of that is going to depend on where are we in four years? What does it look like in four years? I mean, if you assume, and I, and I know this probably puts shivers down your spine, but let's just assume that Trump wins. Uh, and and he is the president. Well, day one, he's a lame duck. You know, he goes in knowing that I can't run again. So they're going to be lining up day one to be the next Republican candidate because you know as soon as he wins that we're going to be doing this again in four years. Yeah. So it's going to give her an opportunity to go back and remake herself. Uh, it's going to depend where is the party. I mean, the party's in a different place than it was when Trump first came on the scene. Uh, You're not really a Reagan Republican party as much anymore. It's adjusted a lot. You've got a lot more fire uh, 
bla- flamethrowers, if you will. Uh, so in, and in Missouri, you have literal flamethrowers. You have literal flamethrowers, yeah. exactly. But, I mean, you, you have folks who are out there uh, really, you know, stoking the fires and willing to say pretty much anything to get a, a news headline. Is it going to look like that in two years? Is it going to look like that in four years? I, I don't know. So it, I won't say that she's done, but it definitely hurts when you get clobbered in your home state where you were the governor. And if you lose by 30 points, it's like, mm. and everybody else is pretty well conceded. I mean, I think Asa Hutchison is still out there somewhere going, I'm still here. Cassie, I thought he I thought he officially conceded a, a few weeks ago. Maybe did he? Not. He should have Maybe officially not. conceded a week after he started because no I one cared. I thought he did. He said, I'm in. And they said, yeah, we we don't think so. I think the voters decided that, that Asa was done. But um, I think right now Nikki's just trying to be the last person standing. And she's hoping that the electorate starts seeing these court cases come down against him and it moves the needle. I don't think it's going to. I think this thing is done. I think it's it's Trump and Biden. Although I I am one of those people who doesn't think Biden is going to end up being on the ticket. I think they're going to switch to somebody. And, and I, I don't have a good feel on who, but I think they're going to switch at the convention. And See, they're and that's, pull him out. that's that's why I don't think it's going to happen, because if if they do that, um, unless it's some sort of emergency and they have no choice, they'll come up with the story. I, I don't think so, man. I, I really think that you would have a difficult time gaining the momentum in three months. What is it? It's August. Right. Isn't that when the convention is? It, I, it's, I mean, it's actually July, I believe. OK, I mean, that's still not very much time. And I think no. you you need momentum in a case like this. Oh, you're going to get a tons of free election. media. You're yeah, going to get, I don't, and it's going to be a name that you know. It, it's going to have to be a name that you know, and that will be it. The Biden has, and I know we need a break here, but but Biden has the biggest problem you can't fix. He's got an age problem. That's not going to get better. No, There's but just, so does Trump, though. But he's, Trump, he's 77. But it, Democrats want to paint him with that, but as we talked about earlier, you... The evidence isn't there, right? He's still as crazy as he's ever been, to, to use my Bernie Sanders Yeah, example, but he's also, right? he, he mixes things up, too. Not, it's eh. apples and oranges compared I don't know, to, man. to where Biden is. I, I mean, mean he's, he's mixing up leaders. He's mixing up states. He's saying he's going to rename He's not turning around and shaking hands with people who aren't there. He doesn't have to have his wife just, leading off this. stage because he doesn't know where he's going. Mike, I would say this as it pertains to those two. I think if we talk about one, the mental faculties of one, I think it's, I think it's disingenuous to not admit the other one's got some problems, too. I, I, and I, think, I think it's on both ends that's true. You can't, you can't be criticizing Donald Trump for his mental acuity or his mental problems or whatever he's got and not admit that there are some issues on your side as well. I think I think both sides here and I hate the both sides arguments, but I think in this case we're, we're being disingenuous to the truth if we're not admitting that both people here Maybe they're different mental issues, but there's some mental capacity questions for both of them. So I'll be Mike Disingenuous Elam for the rest of the day. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.
then. <laughs> okay. That's, that's kind of where we are. <laughs> that's Mike Elam. He's in framing Mark's cores. I'm Chris Ranji. You've got KMOX. Streamers disease. That's Nikki Haley. Just moments ago, she is not dropping out of the presidential race. If you thought that the announcement of a major speech coming from Nikki Haley uh, ahead of the South Carolina primary was her saying, I'm dropping out. Well, you're wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, this just in. Nothing has changed. No, nothing has changed at all. And so I I know she's been saying this, and I think she's right, uh, to a large extent, that there is a huge portion of the country that does not want either candidate, and we're talking close to 70%, don't want this matchup. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I think the number is higher than usual, but I don't think it's totally unusual that people are dissatisfied with both candidates. I think that happens a lot. But the degree to which the dissatisfaction exists is a lot higher than normal. Now, What does this mean when rubber hits the road and we're really doing an election? I don't know that a lot of this stuff matters. I I think the the Robert Herr report um, and the the words about Biden being an elderly man, good meaning and all that stuff that had headlines for several days. And the questions about his age and his acuity have been around for a while I, I think it subsides as we get closer to the election when people are really faced with the choice between the two candidates. But there is no escaping that right now on February 20th, most people don't want this matchup. But what is it? What is the end result, though? What does that mean when we finally get to November? I don't think it means much of anything. I think it means they're going to come out and they're going to vote. And I bet we have similar vote totals to what we had four years ago. I, I think you're going to be close there. Um, the difference is, four years ago, I think Joe Biden really didn't get a lot of votes at all. I think what you got was people voted for or against Donald Trump. Joe Biden, I don't think, was a driving force to get anybody to vote. This time around, you have two candidates that you're going to put next to each other that everybody has pretty well decided where I am on both of them. There's not going to be a traditional presidential campaign, I don't feel, this year because we know these two people so well. I mean, we talked about Donald Trump. We've seen him since the 70s, right? He's been there pretty much my entire life. I've seen Donald Trump on TV, in the news, in the headlines, all that stuff. Joe Biden's 50 years in Washington, D.C. We know who he is. He first ran for president in 88, I think, and... We've seen these two people in public our entire lives. So there's not going to be a traditional you get to you need to know these people more. We know them. And I think everybody's pretty well made a call for or against what you're going to do with these people. And we've seen the Republicans say we're all done. Nikki's trying to be the last man standing, but she's done. At this point, she's just burning her bridges with the base to see how bad she wants it to be, but everybody else is like, look, let's move on, right? We're, we're all ready to move forward. We're not thrilled about it, but this is kind of where we are. And I think everybody's accepted that to this point. There are some that are still going, please, God, let it change, but it's not going to change. It's yeah, going mean, to be what it is. You know, Amy and I have this conversation a lot. She really wishes Haley would get the nomination. She likes her 
quite a bit, and I think they're aligned in a lot of different um, uh, ideas politically. Uh, and and there's this idea that she would have a better chance of beating Biden than Trump would if it's a general election. It's just it's such a fascinating situation to be in that that Republicans don't feel that way about her. But the, if you open it up to the entire country, she would have a better chance of winning. So really fascinating situation. That's Mike Elam. I'm Chris Ranji. We're going to check in with White House correspondent Linda Kenyon. She's with us next on KMOX. Chris and Amy show. Uh, Mike Elam is in for Amy Marks course today. I'm Chris Ranji and we go back to the Quiver River Electric guest line. Uh, Linda Kenyon it covers the White House for CBS News. Anchor and reporter is with us now on KMOX on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Chris. I'm just fine. Thank we, you. Great. We just uh, listened a little bit to Nikki Haley's speech, and she says she is not going to drop out of the presidential race. Are you Are you surprised? And are people in Washington, people uh, you know near the administration, surprised that that she is going to carry on? I have not uh, been hearing any chatter about it being a surprising thing that she said she's going to stay till the end. Uh, she did make it a point of saying that recent polls indicate that that the voters are not jazzed by either Donald Trump or Joe Biden, which gives her more incentive to stay in. So she's committed. She says she's going to be in, to, in the race at least through Super Tuesday, and we'll have to see how that goes for her. But uh, right now, despite all of the legal challenges that former President Trump has faced and is facing, including massive fines uh, in most recently in his uh, civil trial, uh, the fraud trial in New York, uh, he does not seem to be daunted. He's still running. So uh, in many ways, he's starting to have some uh, major outreach, uh, more so than before, to his supporters to help fund his campaign because, uh, as you know, he faces millions and millions and in in uh, fines uh, in various criminal and civil cases against him. And so uh, money's going to start to be an issue. But those who support Donald Trump just find that uh, they support him more than ever. So this is he's not going to be dropping out anytime soon. And Nikki Haley is not going to stop challenging him for the Republican presidential nomination. Hey, Linda, it's Mike Elam. Just kind of looking at these two, we were just talking about this beforehand, and there seems to be, to Nikki Haley's point, there seems to be a large contingent of the population who says, you know, pox on both your houses. We don't want either two of you jokers running again. We've been there. We've done that. We'd like to move on to new people. Does anybody think that's realistically going to happen, or is this kind of where we are? You know, uh, if somebody were to jump in now instead, uh, if, for example, if Biden were to say, uh, you know, let uh, let uh, my vice president be the nominee, uh, highly unlikely. Um, and if a third party candidate were to surface, also highly unlikely at this point in the race, but still possible, uh, that person's really going to have to uh, gain some name recognition and raise major campaign funds. It's hard to see how another candidate that would 
uh, you know, basically um, usurp the attention of uh, either the Biden campaign or the Trump campaign could really gain kind of the, the traction necessary to go all the way to the end, uh, to the final nominating convention. Do you think that's a, a nominee is more likely to be uh, replaced with either Trump or Biden? Because a, a lot of people seem to be in circles that I'm talking to. The money seems to be they think that at the convention for the Democrats, there's going to be another name that's going to come. Now, some of these, I grant you, Linda, are far-fetched. But things like Michelle Obama comes up. Would the Democratic Party actually do that, do you think? You know, it, it, you may be surprised to, to know that at these nominating conventions, and I've covered several of them, other names do come up for nomination. And um, generally speaking, uh, those names, those nominations uh, do not get very far at all. But they do come up. So, yes, I mean, someone could nominate Michelle Obama. Michelle Obama made it very clear, for example, that she is not interested in the job. <laughs> and uh, and it's, it's a tough job. I mean, you kind of have to wonder why anybody would really want a job with that kind of pressure. But, you know, <laughs> apparently people do. Um, I personally don't understand it. But, hey, you know, <laughs> that's what they want. But yes, I mean, somebody else could come up at the nominating convention. I just don't see, though, how they would get the delegates, the 270 delegates needed to win the actual party nomination. Michelle's got a pretty good gig at the moment. So, uh, you know, everybody yeah. loves her at the moment. Why tarnish the brand by actually being well, elected? Just, it, and I don't I never understood Hillary <laughs> wanting to do it. Why would you watch your husband be president and say, yeah, I want to do that? When it's over, I I, know. I I can't imagine. Even. No one ages well after being president. Hell Have no. you noticed that? You look at what they look like when they went in, and look at what they look like oh. when they come out. It's it's a meat grinder of a job. To Linda's point, I mean, it's it's it not is. fun. No, no, it is not fun. Um, and I will say, um, aside the fact that uh, former President Jimmy Carter is uh, of uh, you know, is, is quite elderly at this point and not doing very well. Um, he's one of the few presidents who actually looked better after he left the White House. He's probably relieved. <laughs> and was probably relieved, yes. I it's over. Thank God I'm good now. Um, and, and as you know, the, the topic of conversation um, for the last couple of weeks has primarily been about age and, you know, mental acuity and all of that privately within the White House or in close circles. How concerned are they really about that narrative now? My thought is that they probably are very concerned about it because they have made a point on every possible occasion to say, you know, look, White House press, uh, President Biden is strong. He's uh, mentally strong, physically strong. He's got a lot of energy and he's not that much older than Donald Trump, who, incidentally, tends to mess up his facts on a fairly regular basis. And so, uh, you know, saying that, you know, sometimes the president has flubbed on things, uh, as White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre has said, uh, we have all misspoken. She even said, I've misspoken. And I will say to uh, to you, Chris and Mike, I, too, have misspoken. <laughs> so uh, and, you know, um, Joe Biden has many decades on myself, uh, as does uh, as does uh, Donald Trump. But, um, you know, they, they're trying so hard to 
make a point that he's doing his job. He's very much uh, plugged in and uh, that uh, more so than than ever, when this war with Ukraine uh, happened and the Israel hostage situation uh, between in, by uh, Hamas uh, has been involved in negotiations and uh, talking to the Israeli prime minister and uh, dealing with this crisis situation minute by minute, day by day. It is a meat grinder, uh, as the words you used, a, a meat grinder of a job, and that President Biden is very much up to it. And again, calling us out for saying, look, you know, you keep talking about Biden's age. What about Trump's age? Trump is not a youngster either. This is the one question I have in regard to uh, to Biden. And when he speaks, you know, when we see him publicly, there are times it does not look good. And we've talked about that a lot. What I'm really curious about is privately when he is having meetings with uh, other American leaders or world leaders. Have you ever heard anything of the sort that he's you know, that these leaders get out of these meetings and say, what is going on with this guy? This guy's losing it. Do you hear things like that? No, I never hear that. I only hear praise for him from other world leaders. Um, and I will say uh, on Friday, I was traveling with the president. We did uh, four states in one day, or as I call it, Friday. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, we, we, uh, we really hoofed it all over the place. We went from Maryland to Pennsylvania to Ohio, back to Pennsylvania, on to Delaware, and then back to Maryland. And um, I did not see any sign of fatigue any sign of slowing down from him at all. Um, I will tell you that the White House press corps, the pool that was uh, traveling with him, was pretty worn out. Uh, (laughs) And uh, I slept very well that night. But nonetheless, um, (laughs) uh, there's no let-up that I can see. And there's certainly um, no criticism that I'm seeing from, from any world leaders or any chatter that says that he's not up to the job. Is it the kind of um, thing, Linda, where, you know, they're not going to tell you directly, but right. I mean, you would hear it uh, back channels, you know, that it, I yeah. wonder if would that be the, the norm that you would hear somewhere that he just does not present himself well? I would hear that through the chatter, but uh, oh, here we go. You hear that? Yeah. What is that? That. That is the announcement for the President of the United States about to uh, lift off a Marine One from the South Lawn of the White House, where he is going to California today. And uh, and back again. (laughs) Behind the scenes look there. Yeah, we will let you get to that. We'll let you get to the important stuff. Uh, We appreciate you taking some time out to talk with us, though, Linda. Thank you. Always happy to talk to you anytime. Linda Kenyon uh, covers the White House for CBS News. She is fantastic. All right. Um, The Missouri athletic director is leaving, and people are surprised because it seems to be coming out of nowhere. We're going to find out what exactly is going on at Mizzou with Eli Hoff, who covers that team for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. That's coming up after this. 
Mike Elam, Chris Ranji today on KMOX. We go back to the Quiver River Electric guest line and joining us today from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Eli Hoff, who covers Missouri athletics with us now on the Quiver River Electric guest line. Good to have you with us today, Eli. How are you? You know, I'm, I'm hanging in there. It's been, it's been a busy last 24 hours, but I'm doing well, and I, I appreciate y'all having me on this morning. Yeah, so the athletic director has left. It seems abrupt from what I understand. What is happening here? Because she's taking less money to go to Arizona. Yeah, it's it's certainly a, a, a surprising decision on a lot of fronts. One, it, it just it, it caught everybody by surprise from those of us who, uh, who covered the athletic department finding out about this uh, a little before this time yesterday morning. Uh, to those within the athletic department, and it's a it's a sort of confusing decision as well. Uh, Desiree Reed Francois leaving to take the same job at the University of Arizona, where she did go to law school, uh, but it'll be a, it'll be a pay cut for her going down to Tucson. It's also a, a lower profile job. Arizona is one of the schools that's migrating from the Pac-12 to the Big 12 this off season, and they're in some some pretty deep financial struggles. Uh, more than $177 million uh, in debt. So it'll be sort of a tough situation for an athletic director to move into. But it's the, it's the decision she made to, to leave Mizzou, and it's maybe a decision that, at least for right now, leaves a, a lot of folks with more questions than answers at this stage of the game. Do, do we have any answers why you would take that job with all of those elements that you know? Well, it, it seems like uh, one of the, the underlying causes is some friction between Desiree Reed-Francois and the University of Missouri System's Board of Curators, which is the, the governing body for the system. Uh, the curators had established a, an oversight committee for Mizzou Athletics a couple weeks ago that seemed like it could be the sort of thing that, that sees administrators maybe overmeddling or getting more involved than they should in the way the athletics department was run. Uh, there were some potential tension points or points of friction regarding the ongoing project to renovate part of Memorial Stadium in the North Concourse there. That project after it went to the curators, came out a lot smaller in scope than when it went into that meeting. So some of those things look like, you know, maybe reasons that she would have had to look elsewhere. Uh, but it's just, it, it, it's not the sort of move that you would have expected. And, and there weren't rumblings of this happening. And so I think some of that is what's catching a lot of the Mizzou folks by surprise. Talking with Eli Hoff about uh, the changes going on at Mizzou. Eli, I'm curious, are you hearing any names? I know this just dropped, but are you hearing any names of who's going to backfill the position? And what are they looking for in that job? Yeah, well, that'll be the big question of, of just who they see fitting into this mold, especially if it's if it's the Board of Curators wanting a little more oversight or a little more control or accountability over what's happening there. They might be after a certain type of candidate in that regard. Uh, the, the name, it's, it's early in the search process, and they'll begin the search process now, but they'll, they'll be scrambling a little bit, I think, to, to get a hold on that. The name that immediately jumps out to me is Doug Gillen, who's the athletic director over at Appalachian State. He has worked previously at Mizzou and has experience with this market, with this school. And when he was at App State, he, uh, he hired a football coach by the name of Eli Drinkwitz. <laughs> and I've so, heard of him. Re- yeah, exactly. I think a lot of folks might have. And so reuniting him with Drinkwitz here in Columbia could be a, a really strong pairing. And he has some of that familiarity. So he's a name who I think is, is high up on the list. There will be others who've, who've got experience at Mizzou who are elsewhere in the, in the world of college sports. But it's, it's, uh, it's, it's going to be an interesting hire just because of some of the turnover recently with this position. Mizzou's gone through really four ADs in the last decade now. And so it's, it's, there's some question marks over what this job uh, will look like to potential candidates. And that's really the follow-up question I was going to ask you. I mean, you're, you're seeing the current AD leave for a position 
as you well documented, is not as high profile of what they have. You're leaving the SEC for uh, a school that's coming into a new conference. This has got to give other potential AD candidates some pause in saying, hey, what's going on with that job that I'm not seeing? Because that looks pretty suspect. And do I really want to go jump into that? Not to mention the fact it's the SEC and football drives the SEC. Football drives everything. And I I would contend the fact that... uh, Mizzou's about as high as they could be on the football platform as they're going to get. Like, it's it's going to be tough to have a better season than what they just did. So she, in some cases, you could say she's leaving at the height of the SEC pinnacle, and it's going to be tough for somebody else to come in and try to take that over. It is, and she's just a hard act to follow from the, the momentum that she was create, be able to create here, the connection she built with, with fans and alumni and, and donors. That's all going to be very difficult, and I think uh, some of the turnover in this position. You also look at Mac Rhodes when he left the university; he did so to go to Baylor, that was struggling with the scandal at that time. So that's that's two ads leaving this job for for schools that you know I don't want to say are in crisis, but are maybe not in as good a spot. And so that's another consideration. What this oversight committee actually means going forward. That's something. If I were a candidate for this job, I would be asking some questions in my job interview about what that's going to entail and, and who's going to be supervising me. So it, it, there's a, there's a lot of questions going into this search that I'm sure will be answered, and, and the board will have a say in, in who the hire is. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting how this shakes out, just because things have been going so well for Mizzou athletics on so many fronts recently, and now all of a sudden this you know it, it doesn't stop momentum by any means, but it, it certainly kind of puts the the university at a juncture here when it comes to how it's going to handle sports. Eli Hoff, thank you for the information today. Of course, happy to be on. Eli Hoff covers Missouri athletics for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. What in the world is going on at Mizzou? After that great football season, you've got all of this going down. And by the way, football revenue is everything. It's everything in college athletics. Um, Yeah, so when we come back, we're going to – hey, if you haven't been listening, bro, did you miss a lot. And we'll tell you what when we come back on KMOX. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 